Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story, and the people that craft and tell them. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, and also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, grit stories. We are in the middle of season number three, dedicated to grit talks and the best of. Season number one was with my friend, Kurt Mullen. Season number two featured women tellers, and we're in season number three now. Today, we've got two stories from the Mental Health Happiest Hour, which is a virtual open mic that we still produce. You can still join us to tell a story or to watch the storytellers about every month on Zoom. You can check the show notes to learn more about that event. Our storytellers today are JC, who lives out in California, and Silvana, who lives in Washington State. Thank you both for crafting and telling these stories and letting me use them for the podcast. A few favors before we dive in. If you listen on Apple, rating and reviewing this podcast helps people find it. And we want more people to find it. Also, we have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel. Uh, We would love your support to like it or to check it out or to subscribe. You know how all that works. I know you get requests to do all kinds of things, but it would help. And we want to get these stories out there because they matter. We really appreciate your support. Okay, JC, Silvana, let's dive in. I'm five years old, living in Germany, where I've lived all of my short life, so I only speak German. We moved to Seattle, and my mother, instead of putting me in kindergarten, she plops me into first grade. Now, back then, there were no English as a second language classes, so I had to learn English fast, and I had to put up with all the kids making fun of my accent. But the one thing I loved about school was the school lunches. The lunch ladies would give us mashed potatoes with gravy and little bits of ground beef in it, or we would have a tuna fish casserole. And for me, this was a big deal. My mom usually served us boiled potatoes for dinner, just boiled potatoes with a little bit of butter on the side. So I didn't realize that people had full meals. I didn't know that parents tucked their kids into bed at night. I didn't know that parents played games with their kids. And I basically raised myself. Unexpectedly, one Friday, a friend invited me to spend the weekend with her. So Friday, I left for school in the morning, and I didn't come back till Sunday evening. And my mother never even asked where I was. So I really knew that I was on my own. My mother, though, when she wasn't fighting with my dad, she would turn on me and tell me how worthless I am, how stupid I was. She didn't know I was president of the Honor Society. And, you know, at school, I got good grades. I was the lead in the school play. But there was always that ache inside of, do people really like me? And I really am worthless. And then I was going on my first date. And my mom came in and she said, how much did you pay this guy to take you out? You're so ugly. Nobody would go out with you unless you paid them. And, you know, it just it's something that goes inside of you. And no matter how you try to think, well, I don't think I'm that ugly. But anyway, a day after I graduated from high school, my parents left for St. Louis. And I mean, they left. They didn't ask where I was going to live for the summer. They didn't ask how I was going to pay for college. But fortunately, the last few weeks of my senior year, I had gotten involved with this youth group called Campus Life. And the leader was a guy named Chuck. 
Now, Chuck overheard me casually telling someone that I didn't know where I was going to live this summer. And spontaneously, he invited me to come live with him and his wife for the summer. Now, you have to know, they'd only been married two weeks. I mean, what newlyweds wants this hyperactive, upset, crazy teenager living with them as newlyweds? But they invited me. And the first night we were there, we were having dinner. And then afterwards, we were laughing and we played Yahtzee. Now, that's nothing. But to me, I was in shock. We had a casual dinner. We laughed. And then we played Yahtzee. I mean, I had never experienced anything like that before. And as I was going upstairs to bed, Becky said, Savannah, we're really glad you're going to spend the summer with us. And I froze. Why did she say that? What did she mean? Does she really want me here? I don't think that's true. I don't know. And I laid in bed and my thoughts were just going around like, why were these people nice to me? Did they think I'd drive to pay them a lot of money? What's going on? And the morning when I woke up, I knew they really didn't like me. And so I knew I just had to be tough and mean. I was rude. I was arrogant. Becky asked if she could help me unpack. And I said, I don't need your help. And I don't need anyone else's help either. And, you know, it just kept going like that. And I thought that you would think that I would kind of say, you know, they are nice to me and let's let's be nice to them. But I couldn't. I just really couldn't. After 18 years of being told that you're nothing, it, it's hard to accept that someone accepts you. And sometimes they would say, you want to go on a bike ride? And then my first thought is, why do they want to go on a bike ride with me? And no matter how mean I was, Chuck and Beck stayed calm and pleasant. Becky would put little cute notes in my lunch pail, my lunch bag when I went to work. And Chuck would take me out for ice cream. And, you know, they even asked me, how are you going to pay for college? And, of course, I said, I don't need your help. I can do it all alone. And I had no idea how I was going to get past that first semester at college. It was like, you know, if you're outside playing in the snow, and you've got a gloves, the thin gloves, and you're cold, and your hands are so cold, and you come in and you put warm water on your gloves or on your hands, and you just get, you know, they burn, they burn. And I think that's how it was, is I was hurting, and these people were nice to me, but it just made me burn inside even, even more. And after three months of making their life hell, they packed up my few little things and took me to college, got me settled in the dorm. And as we were saying goodbye, Becky hugged me, and she said, I really care about you. And I said, no, you don't. And she said, I really do care about you. Do I need to tell you 1,000 times that I care about you? And I said, yes, you do. Well, they left. I sat on my bed and I cried and cried, just so mixed with feelings about these people that had been nice to me and I couldn't accept it. And a few days later, I get a manila envelope in the mail. I open it up and there are 40 sheets of lined notebook paper. And I kind of shuffle through the pages and Becky had written, I really, really care about you 1,000 times. And looking at those papers, that was the turning point in my life, the turning point where I started to realize, you know, people do care about me and I can care about other people. Once I fell into a six-week-long 
downward spiral. My boyfriend and I broke up despite our mutual love for cats and raves. Um, I unwisely had a rebound with a bass player. Um, I had a health crisis while uninsured um, and I jeopardized my career by procrastinating a project that was due by Christmas. I was doomed. It was like the, the ghosts of Christmas warning Ebenezer Scrooge, like change your ways or else doom. If I had believed in God, it would have been the time to pray. Um, but I grew up without religion and had always been atheist. Um, so what I did was throw myself into work violently to distract myself. And um, I worked 80 hours a week for a few weeks in a row. Um, I was not sleeping or eating. I was refusing to feel feelings. And there was so little time to spare that I dropped off the project on my way to Phoenix for Christmas. And as soon as it left my hands, like extreme relief and exhaustion just, you know, completely set in. Um, all week, I hadn't slept more than six hours. So I was feeling uh, woozy. I chugged some coffee and I got on the eight freeway, very busy freeway, in holiday traffic. I started to nod off, but I jerked myself awake. And then it happened again and again. Um, and in my misery, I made a life-changing decision. This I would power through full steam ahead. I turned up the music and I stayed in the fast lane. I just didn't care. The next thing I knew, I regained consciousness as my car hit gravel. Um, I was drifting off of the freeway. And instead of gently decelerating and turning with the skid, I failed driver instructors everywhere by slamming the brakes and yanking the wheel at 85 miles per hour. I overcorrected and started to skid in a circle. And as I spun to 90 degrees, it was clear that my car was going to crash. It continued around 180 degrees, and I was facing all of that traffic behind me. I made eye contact with the driver behind me, and I will never forget his shocked expression. I was horrified, like not even about what might happen to me, but about, you know, this car pileup that was going to ensue and all of the injuries and maybe even deaths, all my fault. You know, I realized like these were actual people, families headed on vacation. And here I was like a depressed jerk about to kill them or at the very least make them watch me kill myself. I lost sight as my car swept around 200 degrees. And that is when the car caught air and it started to flip. So coincidence number one was the car that rolled off of the freeway away from the traffic. I had just missed the rocky cliffs and the boulders. Um, the ground had just been softened by the rain. My car crunched and it bounced. Um, I closed my eyes to protect them from the falling, uh, the, you know, the flying glass that was breaking around me. And by the time that it rolled a second time, I knew I could not stop this. It was freeing. It was like the most peaceful feeling I had ever experienced. As my car slammed and rolled a third time, I sensed a presence in the car. Like my car was filling with warmth 
and light. Even with my eyes closed, it felt bright and I felt safe. Like on these roller coasters that I've been riding ever since I was barely tall enough. Like it, it was like thrilling, but I did not feel threatened. As my car hit the ground again, I was basking in comfort. I did not feel pain. I didn't get impaled as far as I could tell. Um, and I was conscious of all five rolls until my car finally stopped upside down with me hanging from my seatbelt. Someone ran over and all I could say was the F word. And he said, we're EMTs. And I said, the F word again. I'm censoring. There's a small child here. Then I said, wait, how'd you get here so fast? Coincidence number two, a car full of off-duty paramedics had been behind me and saw it all. They quickly unbuckled me and pulled me through the window because my car was smoking and they were afraid that it might explode. And so they're getting me set up with like neck braces and things that they happen to have in their car as we waited for the fire trucks. And I surveyed all these heavy, dangerous things in my car that were now scattered all over the ground. There was um, like a hundred pound suitcase in my back seat. There were loose Christmas presents, which was like weirdly including things like um, hardback books, boots, high heels, a kitchen knife. Um, there was also a metal water bottle that was now all dented up, rolled coins, my glasses, flew into the shrubs without a scratch. Same with my GPS and my phone. I found them all later. Coincidence number three, nothing hit or cut me the whole time that we were rolling around. I had no bruises or even a scratch. So a sheriff, a tow truck driver, and EMTs all showed up and each asked, where's the driver? Meaning, where's the body? And then they were shocked each time that I would, you know, wave and say, it's me. I heard them telling stories about me, like the way that you would talk about a celebrity who showed up at your party. They were taking pictures of my upside down car with the bumper, like 20 feet away, not for evidence, but for Facebook or whatever. So coincidence number four was that no other cars were involved in the crash. So we waited for the tow truck uh, to flip my car over and this grizzled old cop told me about a World War II pilot who was hit and he jumped um, out of his plane without a chute. He fell two miles and yet he landed in a field and he somehow survived. I'm telling you this, he said, because you're the pilot who bailed and lived. <sighs> but if only he'd known like how I really had bailed on life, this was you know, my fault. But the tow truck driver said, wow, sheriff's in a good mood. He don't see accidents like that where people live. You made his day. So I guess I had. And there have been studies done on people who've had near-death experiences, who saw the light. And they're almost always people who are religious. And so it could be said, people who expect to have a life after death type experience are most likely to have one. But that didn't apply to me. So that presence that I'd felt in the car, I don't need to know what it was. And God forbid I become one of those people who can't shut up about Jesus. But all of those little coincidences that added up to one big miracle of me surviving this unconscious suicide attempt, it did feel like something more was at work. And I have spent years in therapy. I eat now, I sleep now, but it did take 
flipping upside down for me to get a new perspective on the life that I had nearly thrown away. I sought death and I lost. And in the process, I won. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to our storytellers, JC, a.k.a. Starlit Writer, out in California, and Silvana out in Washington. Thank you both. Check the show notes for new stuff that we're doing if you want to get involved. And if you have a moment and you listen on Apple, rate and review this podcast, especially if you like it. We would appreciate that. And that is all for episode number 87. Wait for it. Boom.